I think that's it. So let's just stand up and wave to each other. Oh, oh, wait, the donkey. I didn't know if you guys realized that. This donkey has been a pathway traveling donkey for the last several months, I think since Easter. And so you too could be gifted at your lovely home with this on your porch or someplace. If you find that you have been gifted with this, it is your responsibility to give it to someone else. So put it in someone else's yard. Please put it in someone else's yard that probably knows what it is, okay? It's just something fun to put a smile on your face, but your neighbor next door is probably gonna say, what in the world and where did this come from? We may never see this donkey again and that would be sad, okay? So I have to take it away because Dan didn't want the competition. So, um, something very important, something special happened this week. If you've never seen the TV show Extreme Makeover, Chris Bale stand up. <laughs> I don't like putting people on the spot. I know that. Uh, anyway, if you don't know Chris before, Locks of Love has now greatly been blessed by the change that's <laughs> great to be able to be here today, rejoicing uh, the Lord and worship as a, as a people together. And whether you're here uh, physically or you're with us um, live stream or play it for that, let's look to the Lord. Father, as we begin our day, I just ask that you will uh, be glorified in all ways, at all times in our hearts. Uh, Lord, as we struggle through life in our flesh, uh, there are times that we fall. There are times that life situations sift us. And Lord, we come today all in different places, all with great needs uh, for you. And Father, I pray that we will see you as the strong, all-sufficient, uh, the one who we need to cling to, uh, the one who can help us in all of our trials, in all of our troubles. Uh, Lord, I pray today that you will help us empty our minds of things that would distract us, uh, things that would uh, buy for our attention this morning, that we could sing with a heart full of dedication, concentration to you, um, that Lord, anything even thinks of thoughts that we would be doing later today would be put out of our minds, uh, that we, we would be focused on, on lifting the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we sing today, as we read, as we do whatever, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be active within our hearts, meeting needs the way only you can uh, in the very depths of who we are. Father, we love you and praise you. Jesus.
Let's read our scripture together. It is
Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you that we're able to come here to glorify you and uh, honor you and love you and just be in awe of you. Thank you for this opportunity to be amongst each other and to, to stir up one another and to love one another. Lord, we just pray that you will speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, Lord, to understand your word. Grow us closer to you. Speed this time. Father, I thank you that you are with us this morning in a special way as we gather together, Lord. And I pray that your spirit again will be working in us, showing us areas that we need to change. And Father, also giving us comfort and encouragement in the areas where we are discouraged. Lord, we give our hearts to you now as we look at you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us for many weeks, you might say, Pastor Dan's been on a series on the Lord's Prayer, and that's sort of true. We've been really in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, but it seems like for a while we've kind of camped right here. And that's a good thing, uh, because the Lord's Prayer gives us the model. It gives us the way to um, pursue prayer. It's not the prayer that you pray, and then you've done all you need to do to pray. In some ways, it's like going to a mansion, and in that mansion there's staircases. 
And each segment of the prayer is like a staircase. And you look at it, I wonder what's there. And you enter into it, and it just goes into more and more grandeur. And there's another staircase to pray about God. So it gives us areas, it gives us doors to open and pursue as we pray. Uh, no phrase in and of itself, uh, in all its great and grandeur, uh, is all that there is to be said. And we say, uh, our Father in heaven. That opens up the whole world uh, of things to pray and meditate on in scriptures. Uh, when we say, hallowed be thy name, uh, that is full of meaning and, and a lifetime of learning. And, and actually, an eternity of learning as we follow him. So today we're going to be, uh, Lord willing, ending the portion on the Lord's Prayer and then moving on in the sermon. Last week, uh, we looked at, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, this is where the soul is captivated and extended by grace. And we see and reflect God through receiving and extending forgiveness. We spent quite a bit of time uh, reveling in the great and wonderful forgiveness and salvation that we have from God, realizing that if that has touched us, we are forgiving people. We are people that don't hold grudges. Uh, in fact, it's been said if you keep a grudge, you don't trust the judge. That he is the one that makes things right. And that we can rest and be uh, confident that if his forgiveness of us has been so wonderful, uh, has been so full of grace, that it only makes sense that his children will turn to those around and give that same kind of grace. Seeking God's forgiveness requires a conscious decision to enter into the battle to believe the word of God and bank on the promises of his grace as we forgive and at the end of the sermon, we looked at a couple quick things as far as battling unbelief, because many times when we don't give forgiveness, we struggle with a certain portion of scripture or an attribute or characteristic of God that we don't believe fully, so therefore we hold on to it, and we have anger and we have bitterness. Uh, and we looked at those quickly as to believe and commit to the doctor's orders, capital E doctor meaning God, that his prescriptions, his things are to be followed, not like we do to our physical doctors who give us orders that we may or may not follow, um, or we find a doctor that tells us what we want to do. Uh, it's not that kind of thing. We're committed that if the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. That is what I go by. That is what I follow. Uh, secondly, we said stay captivated by your own forgiveness. If you ever take that for granted, you will have a hard time forgiving other people. But when you are steeped in his grace and what he did and how great the chasm was between ourselves and God and what it took for his son to, to procure forgiveness on the cross, when we keep that in, in view, the minor transgressions, even if they feel major, are nothing in comparison to the forgiveness that we have from God. So we stay focused on that, forgiving others is in his heart. And believe that God's justice will prevail. Nothing gets fine. He's like that school teacher with eyes in the back of his head, or her head, that can see, and, and he knows what's going on. And he's not going to let anybody's righteous taste go unsettled. He is the judge. He will be in justice. And then believe in God's promise to turn it for good. That he is at work, even in the hard situations. That they're not there necessarily because he's punishing. Sometimes he's forming. Sometimes he's at work getting some of the sharp edges taken away. 
Uh, some of those sharp edges we don't even know we have sometimes. But he's at work within us, even in trials and difficult situations. So as we move on today, we're going to take a quick step back and look at the whole prayer again. And it's been said before, one of the difficulties in life is keeping the main thing the main thing. And, and that's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. It's keeping the main things about God to be the main thing that we pray about, that we arrange our life under. When we looked at the structure of the prayer in the past, we said, well, the first three uh, petitions that are being mentioned there, they're directed towards God. They have the pronoun your, and it's focused towards him. And, and we're looking at delighting in God's glory, in his reign, and his will. And then we said the second three, which are kind of connected with the word and, are looking for his grace. As we give him his glory, we pray for his grace, so that as we live our lives, we have the things that we need. We have our daily bread. We have a forgiving relationship with God, and today we're going to be looking about being not led into temptation, but being delivered from evil. So in all of those last three petitions, all connected together, it's your whole life. It's praying for everything that you truly need to have an abundant, filled life uh, before the Lord. And in all of those things, as we pray for them, uh, they, they form a unit, they kind of, kind of part of the prayer. But one of my favorite preachers, and you've heard me mention him before, is John Piper. And he went on a sabbatical. And a lot of times people go on sabbaticals to refocus their life, uh, to get their life, uh, you know, things have been confusing, they may have been tired, they may be drained, and they just spend time with the Lord. And as he did it and came back, he kind of took his journal out. And this is the journal that I used during this time where I just sought the Lord. And he said this in one of his journal entries, my one great passion. And he said this, nothing is more clear and unshakable to me than that the purpose of the universe is for that hallowing of God's name. That's it. We are here to lift his name on high. And what he did is he took that and he brought it back to the Lord's Prayer. So even though we saw the structure where the first three are giving glory to God, the second three are about obtaining his grace, there's a greater overarching umbrella for all of that. And that the main thing that's the main thing is hallowed be your name. And that's the bottom line commitment that we have as we come to prayer, is that God's name will be made holy, will be seen as wonderful in my life and the world around us. And the rest of our prayer really needs to support that, to follow that. It's not the um, giving out of a Christmas list of things that I really want God to give me. And if he does, then I'll like, I'll like him better, he'll like me better, and everybody will be happier because I won't be so grumpy if I get what I want. That's not prayer. Prayer is when I come to it, I want to hallow God's name. So each petition of the prayer then, when we pray for his kingdom, when we pray for his will, when we pray for our provision, our forgiveness, our deliverance, it is for one reason. That in all of those things, God's name will be hallowed in the way that I live, the way that I forgive. I, why do I need my daily bread? So I can live, so I can do that. Why do I need forgiveness? So that I can have peace with those around me, so I can do that. In all of our prayers, it's for one purpose. The reason that we live is for that. <coughs> 
So as we see the Lord's Prayer, and, and we can look at it in different ways to arrange it, I think this is the best one. To see it as a, as a life that desires to see God's name power. And in all of that, every part of my life is arranged underneath of that. In your notes, I gave you a lot of little verses. We're not going to look at those. Those are for you to look at, to see what it means to see God's name power. How special it is. How wonderful it is. How awesome he is. And as he's glorified in our prayers, then he becomes glorified in our life and glorified in our outreach and our testimony before other people. It could be said this way. Our supreme object in life is to please God, to please him only, to please him always, and to please him in everything. That is a mouthful. So many times in life we live to please others. We live to please ourselves. The prayer time that we have with the Lord is to make that happen, to reaffirm in our minds that it's not about us, it's not about me, it's not about getting things. It's not about getting my kingdom to happen. It's not about any of those. It is about God and God alone. It reminds me of the verse in Philippians 2, where it says, Therefore God has exalted, highly exalted, and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is a verse that says this is where everything's headed. All of, all of human history is going to one place where every knee shall acknowledge, every heart acknowledge that he is, he is Lord. Some of the ones acknowledging that are going to be forced to because they denied him their whole life long. But there come a day when every knee will bow. Now, I prefer to be on the good side of that where I choose it now to hallow his name and give him the glory that is due him, to know the benefits of being part of his family here and now, not one of the ones at the end who's forced to his knees and, and sees him as the savior that they wish they had seen so many years before in their life. So as we begin to pull this to a conclusion here, the phrase we're looking at today is for, um, Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is focusing on the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds. And it's eyes that are filled with love. We see God as a love that casts out all other thoughts. We're going to take this apart a little bit and look at the different uh, places that this phrase takes us when, we, when it says, lead us not into temptation. But the picture here to keep in mind is what just happened in verse 12. Uh, we used the word shalom last week, and that's the idea of the peace where everything is good because my heart is arranged before the Lord. I have peace, though there's turmoil around me, though there's unanswered questions, things I just don't get. I don't know why they are the way they are. There's a calm. There's an assurance that comes that we can be okay knowing that we are in the hands of a loving, kind God that has our back for all eternity. And that he will never leave us or forsake us. So that piece of verse 12 is a place that you kind of want to stay. I need to be there. As much as I need food, I need a good relationship with the Lord. But this phrase is kind of looking down the rest of my life. 
As, as, at, at this moment, until Jesus comes again, or I go to him, what is it that I need? What, what should my life be like so I can stay in the place of blessing? So I can stay by his side. And that I can love him the way that I should. And often, when we stop loving him, it's because we've chosen to love something else. And then that devotion and that place of peace and shalom kind of deteriorates. And it starts to crumble because another love has come in. So the end of the prayer is, is a prayer that we will continue to love him in such a way that all other loves are pushed aside and we stay by his side. Verse 12 left us in a great place. The trick is staying there. Uh, as the old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel prone to lead the God I love. So as we look at this particular phrase in this part of the prayer, it's with a heart to stay in the place of blessing of verse 12. 1 John 2, 5 through 7, 15 through 17 says, Do not love, and in the original it has the idea, as they were currently doing, the world, the system of the world, or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world as their norm, the love of the Father is not in him. So the picture that we're seeing here is that when I love this world, the system of evaluation and all of the things that it says, or I love the material stuff. Either way, God's love is not in me. So when I sin, it's really because I've chosen a different love. That the love of God is not keeping me pure and whole by His side. I've said, I think I like this over here. I want to do this. Sin is not the thing we ever have to do. It becomes a choice. Choice. So in this petition, uh, deliver us from temptation, uh, at, or lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's as if we're in a safe harbor in verse 12. And the prayer turns and says, Lord, when I go into the rest of my life, keep me from sinking. Keep me by your side. So we want to look at the question, and we're going to look at it three ways. When, when the scriptures say, lead us not into temptation, what are we asking? What is it exactly we're petitioning God for? And we're going to look at a, three different ways of perceiving that verse that different folks have come up with. Uh, but in doing it, we have to say a couple things just to clear the air. God does not tempt us to evil. God does not do that. He does not tempt us, solicit us to go and sin. That does not come from the Lord at all. So when it says, lead us not into temptation, it's not a temptation that God would be the author or sponsor of, where he would be solicitating us to do some kind of evil or something. Uh, that word, uh, temptation, in the scripture is translated two different ways. One time you might see it as a solicitation to evil, but knowing it's not from God. There's other times it's used as a simple trial. A, a difficult situation. Something that is not sinful in and of itself. It's not righteous in and of itself. It's the hard times of life. And I don't think I need to say a lot about that if I were to ask you if you had a trial this week, you would probably be able to fill in the blank. Yes, this has been. You might say if you had a trial that's been there for a month, some of you would say, yes, it's been a month long. It's not gone away. If I said to others, if you have a trial that seems lifelong, and sometimes they are, 
There's situations that are difficult, and the verse, and that, that word is used that way sometimes as well. Uh, it, in that case, it means a trial or a testing, an examination to determine a condition. Uh, if you go and get a stress test, have you ever had a stress test on that treadmill? That could kill you. I mean, by the time that thing goes up in the air, it's like you're running for your life, you know? But, but they're not doing it just to, you know, haha, let's make you pant a lot and sweat. They're doing it to determine a condition, to expose something. When Job was under trial, it was to manifest what his, his heart and steadfast character was before the Lord. And as these trials come, when we say, lead us not into temptation, sometimes that word temptation can be those kind of trials. Where God is about to show or reveal or help us ourselves even see. Um, God does permit these kind of trials. Satan um, desired Peter to sift him. But Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. In these trials, God has a purpose. Even though in some cases Satan is at work trying to pull us down, God is allowing a trial to teach us to stand. So it's two things happening where Satan's working to bring us down. God's saying, I'm going to take and redeem that situation, and I'm going to teach you how to stand. I'm going to teach you how to stay by my side. I'm going to teach you about my strength. I'm going to teach you about my goodness. The whole time Satan is there trying to kill, steal, and to destroy and bring us down. And that's the beauty of sovereignty. God takes what would be evil in the hands of Satan, redeems it as a trial to teach us things, to show us things. Uh, Warren Wearsby, an author that I like a lot, says, faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. I think there's many times I've done a building project and I put it all together and I look at it and I say, yeah, I think that's strong enough. Maybe it's a staircase or it's um, some kind of structure. But I have to know that it will stand. So I'll get up on the thing and I'll jump on it a little bit. Uh, on occasion, it hasn't stood the way that it should stand. And, and this testing that takes place is to reveal is the real workmanship deep down inside of the right stuff. If you think in the day of adversity, Proverbs tells us, your strength is small. So these trials often will be revealing to us to let us to help us to see where we are, where we need work, and maybe we're not as much as dependent on the Lord as we thought we were. So we're going to go through three quick things um, that, that this passage leads us into when we see the words, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. There are some who may take it as trials that show our frailty. And what's going on here is that it's a, a, a need and a, a position prompted by a faith which dreads falling. A faith that does not want to leave, verse 12. So as the heart is praying, uh, lead us not into temptation. It's looking at those trials, but it's also looking at the feet of clay or the weaknesses that I have, knowing that I often make the wrong choice. I often don't trust. So there's a bit of dread here saying, Lord, keep me from these trials that I fall so often in and deliver me from the evil. It's a prayer of faith looking at the difficult trials that could be ahead. It's almost like the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, often when the disciples didn't know what to do or 
or what to make of the situation, would just say something. Peter would be like an example of who would just blurt something out. And they're seeing Jesus transformed before their eyes and seeing him in his glory. What do you say when you see something like that? This is the glory that all of life was pointing to. And the disciples are seeing it in front of them. What do you do? How do you respond to something like that? So their response was simply, um, Lord, let's just stay here. I'm going to stay here. Knowing that that can't be the case, I'm going to build three tabernacles, three tents, and, and, and let your glory and your kingdom come right now and just forget everything else. And the thought is that's what's behind this prayer. It's knowing that life has trials. But Lord, don't lead me into those because I so badly want to stay with you. I'd love to have your kingdom come right now, and I know the trials are coming. That's why I, I want to be delivered. But my heart looks at these trials, and I don't want to fall. I don't want to be the one who, who doesn't have it inside the things that, that I thought were there. I don't want to fall. I don't want to get away from you whatsoever. Matthew 26, 41 says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation, these trials that could sift us, that could lead to our downfall. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is a prayer for God to strengthen our weaknesses so that we would stay by his side and to not have the trials come that would cause me to fall. But if they come, deliver me from in these situations, these trials that come, I, that I could have a sinful reaction to, I pray in my weakness, deliver me from the evil, from the wicked one. And in praying this, that, that um, phrase, deliver me from evil, it's really hard to translate. It could be translated, the evil one, and some of your Bibles will have it that way, or deliver me from evil in general. And the translation of that usually is dependent upon the context. So as we unfold the whole context of this verse and the ideas behind the temptation that we want to um, be not led into, uh, gives us an idea that not really hard. To, it's hard to know which one it is. Is it Satan himself that I don't want to fall into his clutches, so to speak, or is it just evil in general, or is it in some sense that it is both? But as these trials come, there's a certain confidence that we can have. Is that God, and this is a highly theological word right here, uh, nerfs our trials. So that we can have a certain confidence that when those trials come, even though we, in our hearts, don't want them, you know, we'd like to see them gone, that God is at work and he's done something special. Now, I, I play a silly game that I've told you before uh, on my phone called Clash Royale. And most of you would just shake your head and say, I can't believe you do that. But in that, there's these little characters, warriors, and different things that, that you use as your army, and you attack these three castles on your home screen. And, and as you're doing it, once in a while, one of them becomes stronger than all the others. And it's like, it, it's, it's just too strong for everybody. And, and people get frustrated. And they're like, that's not fair to use that. That, that thing's too strong. I can't handle it. So the company comes along every so often, and they nerf it. In other words, they take things away from it, so the playing field is enjoyable, tolerable, and you can win. Because what was happening is you just get frustrated, like, wow, you're trying. God does that. 
with the trials that we face. If they were more than we could handle, it would lead to our frustration and say, oh my goodness, this isn't worth it. I can't win, I can't do this. God says, you know what, I'm faithful. I will never let a trial touch you that is beyond what the grace of God is able to do in helping you bear up under it. And with the trial, provide a way to escape. It's a confidence that God says, I will not let anything touch you that is too much. And if you think it's too much, go back to the bag of grace. Go back to who I am. Look at me because there's something you haven't filled upon. There's a resource, there's something true of me that you're not trusting in because I will never give you a trial that is too great for you to be able to handle. So that's the first view or the way that people would look at this uh, in the theological world is that, that we're praying not to be led into trials because they're so difficult. And if the trial doesn't go long and I do fall, God, pick me up. Bring me back, restore me. A second way that this has been looked at is calling it a lightetes. Okay? Lightetes. Is that a common word? I struggle to say it all the time. Lightetes. What is that? It's a figure of speech. And what it is is a figure of speech that emphasizes the magnitude of a statement by, by denying the opposite. You say, well, that really hasn't cleared anything up for me. What are you talking about? I'll give you a couple examples. And, and in this, they look at this, deliver us, uh, or, or lead us not to temptation, as this kind of figure of speech. And what it's doing is, is saying the opposite of really what the desire of the prayer is. For example, have you ever had someone say to you, you will not be sorry. What are they saying when they say that? You're going to be really happy. You, and they're saying it like, you won't be sorry to emphasize how great the opposite of it is true. Or they say, he or she is not a bad singer. What are they saying? Not a bad singer? They're saying they're really a great singer. Or he is no Prince Charming. Well, what are you saying? Are you trying to cut the person down? No Prince Charming, they are the opposite of a Prince Charming, and you're just saying it that way. It's used in the Bible in a couple different places. You can look these up on your own, I'll read them for you. Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, citizen of no obscure city. A citizen of no obscure city, what is he saying? There's some notability here. This is something that's or in John 6, 37, and that the Father gives, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What's he saying? I will keep you safe. I will keep you guarded. You can be sure, I will never cast you out. The opposite is trying to be seen to be true in the magnitude of its one. What the prayer here is, keep me in the place of harmony and peace with you and with others. That, that, that verse 12, and, and keep me there, Lord. Don't lead me away. It's this expression to show me the wonder of staying where I ought to stay. Staying in the safe place. Uh, if you can't swim, there's usually a, a line of buoys that float. And they say, this is the safe place if you can't swim. Don't go over it. And as a child, I, you know, 
when you give me a line, it's all lines are for one reason, and that's for crossing, and got myself into trouble more than one time in our family swimming. It, it's saying, Lord, keep me here by not leading me into temptation, not, not leading me, don't let me go there. And, and that is all with the purpose of showing me how wonderful it is to stay by the Lord's side. Lead us not into temptation, but away from it, into righteousness, into situations where far from being tempted, we will be protected and therefore kept righteous. So those look at that, that this is kind of a figure of speech, they would say. First group looks at it as the trials. This group looks at more as a figure of speech, emphasizing how wonderful the place of blessing is and how we should stay by God's side. It reflects what's said in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of love. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's a prayer that as I look down my life, the rest of living it, God, keep me by your side. That is the place that I need to be. The third group would look at this and say, well, I think it's more of the onslaught of Satan himself or the demonic forces. Lord, don't lead me into temptation, the solicitation of the evil, not necessarily the trial, that comes from Satan himself. Now, in saying that, they would want to emphasize that this is not talking about trials here, or the temptation that comes from my own heart. You see, most of us don't need help sinning. we got a bad enough heart, we can do it without any help from outside. In fact, James says, but each person is tempted when he was lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth. Mark Twain was attributed with the quote, if I could kick the person in the pants who gives me the most trouble, I couldn't sit down for a week. I think I could probably make that quote myself. Is that there's a type of sinning that I do all by myself. That's not being looked at here. This is looking at times like Peter, where Jesus says, Satan has desired you. And I believe that that happens today, whether it's Satan or any of his demonic forces, where they are so intent in stealing, killing, and destroying you that, that you get some individual attention. And it's not just your own heart needing you astray. You are oppressed. You have the forces of the kingdom of darkness foreboding and in somehow in trying to influence you and destroy you. So the prayer becomes, Lord, don't lead me, keep me from that kind of temptation where Satan is sifting me and help me in the midst of all of that. It's a temptation from the demonic realm. James 4, 7, you see, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James Montgomery Boyce rewords it this way. Keep us from wandering into paths where we will be tempted by the devil. If he comes, keep us out of his clutches. Deliver us from, and that's why some of your translations say, the evil one. Keep us away from him completely. Keep us from wandering into paths where we will be tempted by the devil. So you look at those three and you say, oh, they don't make sense. Which one is it? This is one of those times when I will say all of the above. I really think that God is not giving a specific meaning. He's giving an area to be praying about. 
and he's giving an area where he says, you know, pray that you will not be led into temptation, but deliver from evil. Well, is it the evil one or is it evil in general? Yes. Is it trials? Yes. Is it staying by his side? Yes. Is it the onslaught of Satan? Yes. In all of those things, they all have some commonality where we realize the place of blessing and forgiveness where we're forgiving others needs to maintain throughout all of our life and we need God's help to do it. We need to pray and hold on to him. And that phrase, I want to take it apart just a little bit, uh, but deliver us from evil. What does that fully mean in, in its context? And it's assurance that God rescues the fallen. Is there an amen for that? Anybody fall this week? Anybody fall today? Some of you, I'm sure. Come on. Yeah, of course he did. Anybody fall like ten times in one day? It's like, well, that's, that's a good day. You know, it's we fall, we fall. There's got to be a confidence that God delivers us in our sin, that our forgiveness is whole, is complete, that I don't need to have a life run by guilt and shame, but I can cling to him and him alone. So it assurance that God rescues the fallen. The word deliver here is, is a very picturesque word that brings the prayer to a very <coughs> interesting close. It's an aorist tense in the Greek, which implies effective and also complete and final deliverance. What does that mean? It's saying, God, deliver me in this situation, in this situation. But it carries with it almost an idea that keep delivering me until the final deliverance comes where I stand beside you without trials, without any of the evil, that the deliverance comes is forever. Uh, Richard Lenski, a commentator, said this about the verse. It's the deliverance, while it includes rescue from wickedness throughout our lives, it includes the deliverance from the entire wicked world by the blessed death of the saints. So it's, it's a prayer, Lord, keep me there until one day I am there, till one day I'm by your side. So in a sense, it's a full circle prayer. The model prayer starts with our Father, where? In heaven. And the deliverance gives us a picture until I'm standing there with you. So this is almost like there's a homesickness about the prayer or a longing for the righteousness of God. Where I'm worn out, I'm tired. Lord, deliver me from the trials and temptations of this life. And deliver me like I know you will deliver me. Till the day where I stand by I know some of us are worn out by the Lord. By all that has gone on in our lives. And we're like, Lord, it would be so nice. I don't have this death wish. But I really wish you were here. I wish you could make this right. This burden has been so heavy for so long. And this part of the prayer is an acknowledgement of that. It's, Lord, I know you deliver me, and I know you're strong, but I can't wait to be with you again. I can't wait to be by your side and see that full and total deliverance. I just want to give a final thought about the Lord's Prayer and the trials that we find in life. And, and it comes from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking in nothing. Whatever you're going through right now, don't let it be wasted. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want your heart in this trial. Teach me what steadfastness looks like. Because that's what the trial is there for, to teach us to stand, to show us our need to be by him, our need for his grace and strength. So in doing that, it says that you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And what does steadfastness do? It, when it has its full effect, when you have a steadfast life, that you might be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. I told you this morning, I have this gift for you that can make you perfect, make you complete, make you lacking nothing. And you raise your hand and say, cool, I'll take it. Good, I have tried for you. I have something that will be difficult, that is beyond your human capabilities, maybe to deal with or even understand. And in that, God says, I'm showing up. I'm coming with a grace that is beyond, a peace that is beyond your understanding. So that as we come to our trials, God says, I will come in greatness, in wonder, and in awe. And I will show you how to stay in shalom. How to stay in that beautiful, beautiful place. And then James 1.12 takes that idea of steadfastness one step further. Blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial. Why? For when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life, I can't tell you the fullness of what that really means. The scriptures don't give full clarity on that. But it is that phrase, complete, lacking nothing, that crown of life that comes from God Almighty, the steadfastness of the trial, when I linger there, when I let it take my heart over, that's not going to give you the crown of life. I will hold you up. I will not let you fall. You will be delivered from the evil. Now comes a difficult last little passage there. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, some of your Bibles don't have that. You're like, why do some Bibles have that and some don't have that? Well, honestly, some of the earliest manuscripts don't include it. And there's a lot of controversy among scholars about, well, was that really there or was that not there? Because there's a lot of manuscripts that show up that um, very early, within 100 years of 200 years of, of the writing of all of this, uh, and they have it in there. Well, why do some have it and don't? Some of them have it as a margin that was added later. Um, think of it this way: we sing a song called 10,000 Reasons," right? <laughs> Something happens when we sing that song. Something that just feels like it's part of the song. And we sing 10,000 Reasons Forevermore. Forevermore! Whoa! Now, I have a feeling outside of Pathway Church, you could pull that song up. You won't see that in there. Does it belong in there? Yes, of course. I would say, well, duh, but you can't say that from the pulpit. Know, yes, that's part of it. In fact, if Mr. Aaron Beale is not here, everyone was like, okay, who's going to do it? If it's not part of the original, it's not harmful. In fact, the Jews of the day couldn't have heard the Lord's Prayer said without a doxology at the end. 
So they think that some may be just were so overwhelmed. They said, yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Acknowledging the triune God. Ending in a way out of, out of their heart. It's like, yes, to yours be the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. You are the God of this prayer. You are the one that I'm seeking when I follow with this model into your heart and mind. Whichever. It may have been part of the original. It may have just been added to the dear saints and their response to it afterwards. In either case, that is the prayer. That God would keep us by his side from beginning to end, knowing that our deliverance will be complete forevermore. Nine is the, yours is the kingdom without the glory As we go into our communion time, all of us have been invited to the table. The Lord that gave us this prayer gives it and gives it as an invitation for all to join his kingdom to be able to pray like this. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not part of his kingdom. You can't pray all that we've talked about these past few weeks, but you can pray. You can say, Lord, I want to be with you. I trust what Jesus did on the cross was for me, and you can enter this table. And if you've done that, that invitation to the table, the table of communion is what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ until he it's for believers. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have to be a member of this church. You could be visiting. If you know him as your Savior, this is a reminder. You've been invited to the table. That you are part of his kingdom. That this prayer, this model prayer, is for you to guide your heart and life. We have a video uh, that we want to show just to help prepare our hearts. Uh, that follows that theme of the that God invites us and a reminder that communion is that great of the table that we've been invited to. John, if you could play that video. We'll take it together.
level playing field is there grace to reach out to anyone, anyone. We take it to be able to remember his death, great inclusion into his life. We read these words in Corinthians. For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Even so, Lord Jesus, our music team is going to come and lead us in a closing song, and we have a musical closing prayer.